please stand by for another episode of Wired Shut. Okay, welcome to Wired Shut. Welcome back. Yeah, this is the episode. Um, this has been Wired Shut. This has been Wired Shut. Thanks for tuning in. We'll see you later. Um, this episode brought to you by... Um, Jesse's taking the lead on this one, so if, if he sucks, it's... I took the it's lead on the last one. You just happened to take the lead on the other 80. Um... <laughs> <laughs> um we're actually sharing this one a little bit. We're, you've got a documentary that you watched, and I've got a documentary that I watched, and then we both watched each other watching the documentaries. And then we went back in time, filmed the documentaries with ourselves watching them in mind. Yep. Deleted that footage immediately. And, yeah. um, and then left the people to do the what they were doing. Then we made a documentary all. about the fact that mis- that documentary footage was missing. <laughs> Um, it's called Searching for Sugar Man. <laughs> it, won, it won at least an Oscar, I think, and, but it's basically a lie. Uh, yeah, so Why do you think he committed suicide? <laughs> it's all coming together. Uh, 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 suicide. Uh, I hear it's painless. Uh, I thought it was shameless. Ah, uh, yeah. You're right. Shameless? Like, yeah. The, without Shane. Without Shane. Um, yeah, He's so... your host, Jesse. I'm your host, Logan. Um, yeah, Logan, Jesse, Jesse, Logan. People's yeah. Club. This is where we are now. We're up to... This is um, episode 85 of the podcast. Jesus. And um, we pick, we're picking up from um, the last episode where we weren't in lockdown again in New Zealand and... Now we are again. And now only I'm in luck. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty fine. It's uh, it's okay in, in um Yeah, I bet it is. Yeah, in Wellington. It's just level two right now, so we've got social distancing, um, and COVID tracing apps and um spaced out tables when you eat Do out you use in restaurants. The app? I've used it twice. But I'm, you you are a a, a card carrying apper, um, as it were. It's just easier now because uh, yeah, I, I use the app too. It's just I hate the app. Um, it sucks. I'm gonna throw it out there. It's a piece of shit. It's crap, but it's better than every other stupid ad hoc thing everyone's trying to use. Uh, pretty much. And I don't know whether you had the same thing, but we had in Auckland before the official app was out. A lot of places were using some weird Chinese knockoff one. Yeah, there was all these different variations out there that were grabbing QR codes and doing shit with. But there were also ones that just had QR codes up and you'd take a photo with your phone. It would take you to a website and you'd just check in that way. There was no nothing to actually install on your device, which I yeah, kind of preferred. No, all of that's yeah, gone I mean, now. I did accept, yeah, I don't know. Most of the ones in Auckland seem to be all weirdly run by some Chinese group and it's it's... This is the wrong time in history for um, what the COVID face of Chinese technology. What what the um, what the official COVID app does when you scan the QR code, not in the Q, in the COVID app, but you scan it from your phone. 
it opens up the link into a document, like a Word or like a notepad document, and gives you that URL. And that's it. So it's not even what, smart. What? It's not even smart enough for you to just open your phone camera, <laughs> scan it, and it takes you through into the app and logs it there for you. You have to go into the app, scan it, and then it's there. So it doesn't even communicate with your camera properly. Oh, okay. So I always did it where you just open the app and then the app just instantly brings up the camera thing. You hit the QR code and it goes, you're all set. And you just click OK and it's done. Yep, but that requires you to unlock your phone. If you can just turn your camera on from your phone. Like, yeah, it, it doesn't actually talk to your camera unless you're in the app, which is really annoying. Right. Um, I, I mean, I don't know. It's not Maybe massive. Maybe it's okay but it's from not, like a... It could be worse. Like... I mean, the entire first lockdown, it just didn't work. But, you know, whatever. Because everyone yeah, had their own so QR bad. codes. But all of those other QR codes could seemingly communicate with your device no matter what and would take you to the place you needed to check in with, whereas the app specifically didn't do that. It only allowed mm. official QR codes through. So it doesn't really fucking matter. It should just log where you are right now based on your location data and your name and your information as you've saved it and whatever you've saved it in a profile I think that Google account requires account. considerably better tech than our government has <laughs> oh yeah well that's I think that's part of it also there's like questions of overstepping boundaries beyond the app while you're not I think to be able to go through your camera it would have to have greater access to your phone than I've allotted it to have I mean I just knowing a little bit about how other government applications and systems, digital services work, it's, yeah. it's not a thing. Like they put, they both sound like self-imposed restrictions. They could have done something about that. But anyway, we're not here to talk yeah. about COVID. No. COVID is just the um, the overarching theme of our lives right now, again. Um, True. But, you know, uh, we're here to talk about the missing 411 documentary, which I don't know what the actual name of it is because it's that's what Logan's here to talk about. And um, yeah, three identical strangers. You would Netflix. do that. Um, hold on. So we can jump back and forth, I think, and just compare. Missing 411 documentary. Is it, it is called Missing 411? The Hunter? I think so. It might be the hunted. Yeah, missing four one one colon not colon, but missing four one one the hunted. Okay. Yes, that's the one. Um, so first things first. Uh, eat your brain. Yeah. Um. <laughs> first things first. It does an upfront very good job of trying to convince you that it is not a Bigfoot documentary. <laughs> Spoiler alert, it's a Bigfoot. It's a Bigfoot documentary. Yeah. It's just someone chasing that smell of Bigfoot dick through the forest. And going, yeah. Oh, there's some neatly, so, neatly so packaged your, clothes here. What's your knowledge on David Politis? Him as a person, not very much. But I know, these missing 411 stories, it's it's always about, oh, there's neatly folded clothes of this person who just vanished. Yeah. Mm. Um, and you know... Like Bigfoot irons people's clothes before he eats them or something. Yeah, and yeah. they always, yeah, I mean, I don't know, but I'm guessing you're the same. My first knowledge about him came from Mysterious Universe. Mm -hmm. Yep. Um, Mysterious Universe and a lot of other people in the super, supernatural, is that the right word? Um, that, that sort of 
conspiracy theory field paint him as being a very, very um, believable and you know, sort of realistic, normal, from the real world, legitimate character. Right. Because he was a, I think they say he was like an ex-detective or something. He was an investigator and a police detective. Yeah. Um, So first things first, never achieved any rank above rank and file officer. Yep. Yep. Um, Was never a detective or even seemed to be connected to detective work were there multiple occasions as well where he was called out for lying while working for the police like that yeah. was what he's most known for during his time is making shit up also got um as i understand put given like a desk job after embarrassing himself and the force one too many times because of um, lying right specifically from making for making shit up i think was the yeah, something like that. I don't know the repetitive kind of actions of it, or behaviors that he was known for. Um, and yeah, basically got relegated to a desk job until eventually they could sort of get him to leave on his own, and he did so. Um, short of being a of getting that like you know the appropriate time period to get the pension. Yeah, yeah, and. As I understand it, when it comes to American police, the pension is like the key thing that they try and have you in long enough to achieve if you're at least a regular officer. Yeah, yeah. Because, um, because it's it's all part of that union stuff that seems to cause so much trouble. So basically, Politis is full of shit. Mm-hmm. But he comes off really well in a documentary made by himself. Big surprise. <laughs> yeah. I was going to say, it's really terrifying to think that uh, like a police officer can make himself seem that uh, someone with that background yeah, does such a very good job of convincing people he's good at what he does and he knows his yeah. stuff. It's like, oh, that's troubling. Um, I mean, there's, all you need is a need is... spurious ability to think logically about what he's proposing. I mean, you know, like he's all these people go missing in national parks. National parks represent one of the few places where normal, relatively untrained people make attempts to go into the bush. Yep. Um, so, where would you expect large amounts of people to go missing? National Off parks. the sides of random highways yep. or in national parks? Yep. Like, so yes, of course, national parks are going to become epicenters to large amounts of disappearances. And then it's like, well, well these sort of... You're addressing you know, thousands of kilometers of un, untouched territory that's just protected, so no one's really allowed to do anything to it. So naturally, nature prevails. And American nature, wilderness, is terrifying. Yeah. Um, and unpredictable. So... Yeah. And and there's, you know, unlike New Zealand, we basically sleep anywhere you want. Yeah, the the biggest risk you have. In America, things can kill you. The biggest risk you have in New Zealand is that you'll freeze to death from, um, not even from like like pure snow or like um, sub-Arctic temperatures. It's just you'll freeze to death because it's wet and almost like near zero at night sometimes. Yeah, it's, you'll just... Never feel good and get progressively worn down by being in the bush. It's not like you're gonna 
suddenly die overnight unless you slip over a cliffside or something. Yeah, exactly. It's yeah, it's the the entire idea of his is basically if you take a large enough sample size, there's going to be some level of correlation that starts to look like something that you can then draw your own conclusion on because you're a conspiracy theorist. Mm. He's like, you know, why did all these people take off all their clothes and fold their clothes? Well, one, not all of them do. A very tiny percentage of them do. And two, it's a really common all of these of... cases are pretty consistent with advanced levels of hypothermia. Yep, exactly. It's a really common instance for people to strip off all of their clothes out of delirium, yeah. thinking that'll help them warm up. Yeah, they suddenly feel aggressively hot, and so they disrobe or whatever the hell logic is there. And I don't know, I'm sure some small percentage of them, you know, fold their clothes or something weird because they're losing the plot. Well, they fold them um, as in that they know they're going to need to put them back on and probably in their head. So they all put, they probably just stack them. It's barely folded. It's just yeah. neatly stacked in the corner somewhere because that's what they've designated then, as their place to take their clothes off. It's... And then a lot of these are like, you know, there were bodies lying places that have already been searched and they just searched and searched and searched and then a week later somebody searched somewhere they'd searched a hundred times and all of a sudden there was that's, a body lying there that, or bones lying there that's where the um like the weird bigfoot and um dimensional kind of bullshit starts to trickle through in terms of self yeah. self-justifying these stories right is that oh well we looked there yeah. Over and over well, what again. What do we so already this... know we're dealing with based on what we've talked about so far? Time we're dealing scale. with rugged, like, you know, forest terrain covered in snow. Mm -hmm. What is hard to see while there's snow around? The ground. A week later, what usually happened? Oh, the snow went away. Oh, now we could see these bones that were just laying out perfectly pristine and looked perfectly clean, like. What is that consistent with? I don't know, like something eats a person's dead body and then the bones get covered in snow and then when the snow's gone, all of a sudden you can see the bones. No, 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 no. There's a time slip in, in the National Park which meant that they died <laughs> yeah. two days ago but their body decomposed by 50 years. Bigfoot. Yeah, it's Bigfoot. Bigfoot's a time slip and dick. It's a good episode yeah. title, actually. And I'm going to run it. <laughs> Bigfoot is a time-slipping dick. Oh, no. And also... Bigfoot's, like, it's his time-slipping dick. Like, he's... If if it's... Ugh, excuse me. If it's... If Bigfoot is... Has remained elusive... <laughs> sorry, I was going to say, oh, I'm sorry, are you boring you? Um, <laughs> carry on, sir. It, why would Bigfoot remain as elusive as he has for as long as he has? Because he's a voyeur. He's not but an if he lives in national parks specifically. <laughs> yeah. Um, who set up the National Park Service? Which president? Was it Roosevelt? Because he liked hunting uh, bears. Very old, right? I'm assuming so confirmed based on this conversation at hand and these questions that you're throwing out there that Roosevelt was half Bigfoot. And that's why he set up the National Park Service, was to protect Bigfoot. Well, for a start, it was Woodrow Wilson. Cool. Okay, that's what I said. Yeah. Um, Woodrow Wilson. It says Woodrow Wilson, and then for some reason, there's a picture of Mount Rushmore with George Washington's <laughs> face. 
George Washington Carver, the peanut butter guy? Yes. Cool. Nice. 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 Um, cool. So, okay. So, it, it, it is about Bigfoot. It's, when they would make George Washington look like a really like dignified, strong-jawed man when actually he's just kind of a poncy-looking british dude with like a puffy, fat face? Um, yeah, and he, like, hmm. I don't know. It's... I have no comment. Uh, all I've got is peanut butter stuck in my head. <laughs> I cannot really tell hungry. a lie. Um, was, that was Lincoln. No, it wasn't. The I cannot tell a lie. I don't think it was George Washington either. Pretty sure it was Lincoln. Because he wouldn't even commit... He, why would he commit to hunting vampires if he was a liar? Not as George Washington. Well, the more you know. The The story was that he was such a good person i think even as a kid when he cut down a tree and his father said who cut down this tree and he said i cannot tell a lie and explained why he cut it down that's why on um on my fairly odd parents when he comes to life he just goes must chop wood that um aggressively now, cuts trees down all the time now you're speaking my language okay <laughs> They uh, they have to tell between him and like a fake him, and the way they can tell the fake him is that um, fake him doesn't. Timmy holds it. up a tree, and then the real George Washington has to cut the tree down. While the fake one's just confused. Oh, that's so dumb. That's so it's perfect. so perfectly dumb. Um. Okay. So do we keep so, talking? What I hear the other day, um, Lincoln was all for freeing the slaves, but he assumed once they were freed, they were going to get on a um, ship back to Africa. <laughs> Jesus Christ. He didn't actually want black people to be um, naturalized into the Part United of America. States. He thought they'd leave of their own accord once they were freed. After 300 odd years of slavery, yeah. they'd think that no... It wasn't that long, was it? Yeah, it was. Well, it was a couple of hundred years at least. How long did America have slaves? Welcome back to Wide Shot, where we do not do our research. Well, we do extensive research on Bigfoot. <laughs> Very little on the history of slavery in America. But we're learning. How many years? 1776 to 1865, so um, less than 100. Well, that's of America being a thing. America had been... Um, the colonies had been established in America since the 1600s. Right? Uh, just yeah, you you make a point. That's, that's the that's effectively declaration of independence through to the... So when do you actually... First enslavement, 1508. That's the Spanish in Puerto Rico. Um, was it not just Carolina? Carolina between 1670 and 1715. So, yeah, you're talking like 200 years. This is where I'm making the mistake. I'm, I'm thinking of today going back. It's been 400 years worth of slavery. Not worth of since slavery started. We've obviously had... A hundred odd years of, yeah, because they had well, they had 
there was slavery and then there was like they had their own version of apartheid right? pretty much the jim crow laws and such yep see this whole time until very recently i thought jim crow laws was there was some white dude in the south called jim crow who was like ushered in a set of laws i didn't realize jim crow was like that racist caricature of a lazy ex-slave who refused to work and just wanted to be a drunk and live off the state yep it was never a real person yeah completely missed the concept of what jim crow was i just imagined some yeah scary white guy called jim crow that was like yeah like the crow (laughs) (laughs) no not like the crow i didn't imagine brandon lee standing on a Uh, uh, podium wearing old-timey clothes proclaiming the shortcomings of the black man yeah, uh, and telling them to use a different water fountain and such yeah that's, yeah that's the brendan lee movie we deserved um also did not know until recently that those tulsa riots were a real thing i mean not riots it was a tulsa massacre basically yeah it was not a riot um and yeah 100 percent was a real thing it's just yeah, I, I horror. Learned. Yeah, well, it's horrifying how much even well, we're so far removed from America as a um, in terms of shared history. But yeah, I mean, it doesn't. And um, um, you know, our cultural lineage doesn't even include that country. Well, no, we we not that we pick picked and choose um, chose what we wanted to learn about that country, but like things were picked and chosen for us in terms of what we would learn about America. Yeah, I mean, they're not. You know, they're not our history, so for us it's like we learn we would have learned potentially if we chose if we took those subjects at school, we would have learned when the Americans ditched the British, but we wouldn't learn American history unless we specifically we took, took a thing subject. on American history, yeah. And I mean our history goes back to uh England. So we always learnt right back to um uh Elizabeth the First. The thirst, the thirst, the thirst trap. Elizabeth, Elizabeth the, thirst. the thirst that saucy makes. <laughs> she ain't got no eyebrows, you know. It's just it does it for me. Covered in that, uh, <laughs> covered in that white pancake makeup lead made of lead. <laughs> <laughs> Oof. Oof. Literal self embalming. Mm. This weird puffy. Mary Queen of Scots, things. may I? Um, yeah, we learned about. Um, the now, did you ever learn in school that the guy that was basically forced to create the New Zealand company and move here to start the colonies initially? Sam Neill from was, the piano. Yeah, I'm, no, I'm very aware of his work, yeah. Was, <laughs> was forced to do so because he um, absconded with some wealthy landowner's like 13, 14-year-old daughter. Oh, Jesus, that's the history of our country? Yeah, a, a rapist was put into exile. But he was really wealthy, so their idea of exile was um, forming a corporation, Holy making shit. him in charge of it, and shipping him off to a colony to run a new colony. You know what you just described, right? New Zealand is a Jeffrey Epstein situation. Whoa. <laughs> they sent a wealthy, wealthy, wealthy pedophile to an island under his own company <laughs> and let him live there. Like, uh, yeah, it's okay. What I'm hearing is... Uh, I don't believe he was allowed to take the girl with him, though. I believe her okay. father took her back. I was going to say, it seems like a very classically England thing to be like, you're in trouble for uh, 
for you know bedding this child now get out of here we don't want you in this country no more and take her with you because that <laughs> just seems easier to deal with um yeah oh. well, as i understand it it was basically he um says to his brother oi brav i'm well in love with that girl there that their peaky blinder yeah that, that badge not that british high society were <laughs> the chaps <laughs> Well, the wealthiest of the Brits were from EastEnders, right? Yeah, yeah, okay. yeah that, that's right. That's right. Uh, Where is it? I'm, I'm trying to find the actual... It might have been this Edward Gibbon Wakefield fellow. <laughs> yes. Sounds like a sex act, but yes, that's there fine. It is. Give her the old Edward Gibbon. Smoking <laughs> in prison for three years in 1827 for kidnapping a 15-year-old girl. He enjoyed a distinguished political career. Hashtag white privilege. Yeah. Some activists have called for Wakefield monuments to be removed. Yeah. He, as I understand it, he absconded with some guy's daughter. And, and including uh, told his brother, you need to help me kidnap and marry forcibly this young girl. Okay, so can we establish that giving giving the girl the old Edward Gibbon Wakefield just, just code for kidnapping her? <laughs> With the help of your brother, <laughs> what's is oh, Jesus? Is there a term for forced elopement? Um, felopement, maybe. I'm <laughs> just throwing it out there. Felope. Uh, um, bride kidnapping. <laughs> no, that's bride. There's got to be something better than that. No, no, bride napping. Marriage by abduction or marriage by capture. Sometimes confused with elopements. Um, yeah, there's. Uh... <laughs> I'm I'm entertained by the fact that I forced marriage on Wikipedia, and one of the images accompanying it appears to be a how-to guide. <laughs> <laughs> Basically, just involves a picture of a guy looking at a woman with her father in shot. And then a second shot of that same man dragging some woman away. Now I know this isn't a visual medium, or and that you're not on the podcast right now. But Charlotte, blink if you're not if you're in danger. <laughs> uh, and I like how every country has their own section on the bride kidnapping Wikipedia page, um, yeah. because they've all got different. I like different... that it's referred to by the term "free love," as in like you get love for free. And you don't have to pay her father for. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Oh, history oh, sucks. People, what a bunch of bastards. Um, history sucks, says the white dude. <laughs> Just, oh, whoops. Sorry, oh, sorry about that collective everything. White man. Um, he, yeah, so Edward Gibbon Wakefield founded New Plymouth, or his company founded New Plymouth, Nelson, Fungunui, Christchurch and Otago. So New Zealand, um, yeah. Travelled to Wellington, elected a member of Parliament for the Hutt Valley. Um, have you ever been to Russell? Uh, I was trying to think of a famous Russell, but is that in Crow? No. Um, I know there's a Russell Bay of Islands, Russell. No. Yeah, that Russell, the the original capital of New Zealand. No, population seven sixty two. That sounds like a horror movie we need to make in Russell. There's already a horror movie called Population 436. Yes, with... Um, Fred Durst. I was going to say Limp Bizkit Bastards. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
um, have you been to Russell? Um, I have been to the um, city across the water from it, which is Paihia. City right. is a stretch. I've been to Paihia, and I've been into the um, what's it called? Pormadu Bay. Just yeah. I've, so I've been in the water between Paihia and Russell, and done. What what do you call it? We uh, um, swim, paragliding. Oh yeah. No, paragliding? Yeah, swimming. The one, the, the one where you're in, it's like a parachute and you're just pulled by a boat. And parasailing. lifts you up, yeah. Mm. Parasailing. Mm. Um, and we got very close to Russell, so I've seen quite a bit. So of you've technically fallen stuff. into the boundaries of Russell and boosted their population up to 763. Got it. <laughs> this this horror movie idea you're shipping, it's not going to work. <laughs> um, oh. Also, I was very disappointed by the 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 we went to like we went around Waitangi but we didn't go to Waitangi. Turns out it's very, very, very intentionally secluded so that you can't even look at it without paying money. Yeah, that makes sense. Like it it does I don't make agree sense with it, but I ma- it makes sense. Yeah. It makes sense. Um we didn't have time, but I, I would have liked to have gone to the museum. I still want to go back up there. I actually really like the north. You like the north? Um, fucking, I'm sure I've talked about that on here before. Feels like end of the world, right? Yeah. Edge of the world. Ends of the earth. And we didn't get to go to Spirits Bay, which is apparently very, even more eerie than Cape Reangers. How far away is it from Auckland? Um, I think what's the it's northern a... city? Fangare. Fangare. I believe Fangare is an hour and a half from Auckland mm. to two hours, depending. Mm. Uh, it's if you're going to go up that high, you're going to want to like stop overnight in Kaitai yeah, or Manganui or something. Yeah. Um, but if you, yeah, I mean. Totally, we'd go up there again if you want to go there sometime in the future. I was just thinking we could maybe use one of those. If, yeah, I don't know. It, we've got no election to worry about now when we come up to Auckland for a little bit of a visit for our election special. That ain't happening. The trip, yeah. the trip still might not happen either, depending on what happens with. I I'd be very impressed if the timeline changed. Yeah, but um, if you're gonna go north of Auckland, honestly. I, I, I we're only up there for four days. Yeah. For it. It's not really a day trip. No, it's uh, we're only up there for four days anyway, so I don't think we'll bother. Um, yeah. But I mean, really Charlotte want to and I fun. took two and a half days. Yeah, yeah. but we were driving. And granted, that was fine because I love driving and she loves being the passenger, but. Like just being in a car, moving around, seeing shit was entertaining enough for both of us. Without on with all the good stuff on top as well, where you're stopping. But um, yeah, yeah, it's it 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 has. There's like a quaint remoteness to the north that's very um, like it it feels slightly frontiersy in some places, and also there's that you know how Taranaki has that 
darkness yep. to it. Mm-hmm. That sort of. So imagine in like world a similar worlds, feeling, sort of. yeah. but everything is really fucking bright, picturesque, and sunny all the time. Oh, so like we we wish we had grown up, but instead yeah. we were in the world between worlds. Yeah, um, we we were in like um, New Zealand's version of Maine. I was gonna say that we were in Death Stranding. Um, yeah, we, we were in the like you know black sand, stormy seas, cold winds. We were yeah, like I reckon that's a good analogy. We were in New Zealand's version of like Maine. Yeah. Oh, man. Um, whereas uh, the North is like the closest New Zealand gets to being. I don't know. It, it, it does feel a bit death straining in that you can like stand in one spot and you can see for hundreds of kilometers. Yeah, it's just bizarre because we don't get that experience in New Zealand very often with our um with our layout. Like Yeah, no, usually everything's too hilly, you can't see for miles. But um in the final road lead up to Cape Brianga feels like you know in a in like a game when you have that last sort of march up to the final bosses mm-hmm. the, area the last sort of climb and even any god of war game yeah, yeah that's that's what this feels like when the the camera changes to like 16 by 9 cinema view but yeah you're still moving you're, the you're going on a road that basically hugs a hilltop the entire way so you can see off the sides of the road for yeah every so often you can see for hundreds of kilometers yeah and there are sand dunes that are like you know, twenty plus kilometers across, you can just see these huge bars of sand. Cool. But if you actually went over there and walked on them, they're so immersive like and huge. Yeah. Well, they're so massive and like porous that you just your feet go, you'll sink to like knee deep, and then your next foot knee deep, and then your next foot knee <laughs> deep. So it's not actually like a nice beach. No, yeah. Well, just... I'm on Google Earth looking at it right now. You can see um, Te Wairahi Beach from. Cape Reanger and it just looks like yeah like Death Stranding where it's just like there's something so remote and huge and there's no people stuff there it looks post-apocalyptic regrowthy like the world ended a hundred years prior but nature sort of recovered from the fact that humans are now gone yeah kind of where is it there's a um Went to the best beach I've ever been to up there too. Hmm. Rarawa Beach. I am. Um, okay, I want to go to there. Like the 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 ocean was cold, but a warm cold, so you could stand there for as long as you want to. The waves were a good size. It was really clean. The beach is huge and goes on forever in either direction. Um. There aren't that many people there, but there are like people driving SUVs up and down the beach because it's like an unregulated beach. Yeah, yeah. Um, Hmm. Very nice. And you go to these places and like there's maybe one farmhouse that looks over the beach. There's not like thousands of, you know, rich people houses covering everything up. And you... You um, get off a state highway onto like 150 meters of paved road, and then you're all instantly on a shitty gravel road to yep. get to most places once you leave the state highway. So it sounds like it's relatively unspoiled compared to yeah, the it rest is. of New Zealand's um, coast. My my biggest fear is the 
new northern motorway stuff will ruin the north. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Like, That's the north the has serious problems. There are so many, like, relatively unaffiliated Maori communities that really need support and need economic mm-hmm. opportunities. There's massive there. poverty gaps but, um, there and Gisborne, especially, like, those two parts of yeah. the country are massive because of the lack of infrastructure. Um, yeah. But with that, yeah, they become unspoiled little tiny paradises. If we weren't, um, you know, having to deal with just a, a heavily neoliberal country, those places would still just be flourishing quite nicely in their little meek sort of ways in some places. Yeah. But it's in their, yeah, they're beholden um, to the powers that the, the North is really like unfortunately super sort of ripe for the taking as far as so much of it will become the best um you know desirable beach house locations in new zealand once that finally opens up and it stops being a ball lake to get up there yeah like there are already a couple of townships that are just like oh this is clearly um Yep, and yeah, that's where they're going to get some really militant town. sort of opposition because naturally, obviously, um, you're dealing with the North. They're not going to take kindly to it in terms of the Iwi nah. and um, the um, the population, the local population there, and good on them. They need to protect yeah. that. <laughs> yeah, there's it's probably the one last bit of the country that, that feels like the if, the New Zealand, yeah. the Aotearoa. Yeah. Um, um, on a completely un... Um, yeah. Uh, I wouldn't say underwhelming, but on a completely different note after talking about lovely beach uh, escapes in New Zealand, the the documentary I watched was about triplets who had been separated at birth, found each other by chance because people recognized them and confused them with each other. They found each other when they were adults, Um, managed to have several years of that becoming a massive uh, global kind of story of like oh my god these guys found each other after being separated at birth they've all got the same behaviors and the same mannerisms and the same likes and dislikes and um that was naturally perfectly 80s 90s america um fully embraced in terms of a thing that people could be like sensationalize yeah uh for the longest time and then it's like daytime tv fodder yep um and yeah the longer they were together the more you realized hang on a second this like they once they started to compare notes essentially and be like what why did this why did we get separated and um we all came from obviously we all came from the same adoption agency the adoption agency is giving us a very specific narrative as to why we were separated at birth and who our parents actually were and why they placed us with these particular families. Um, and it turns out they were, in essence, a um, human... They were subjects of a, like a, of a um, end-to-end psychological, sociological um, experiment without so their knowledge. You've, you've said that, mentioned that to me before, but what does that actually mean? Like, who authorised that? Um, the Jewish Board of Guardians, which essentially, if I'm Googling, if I'm looking them up right now, they were one of the United States' largest nonprofit mental health and social service agencies and New York's largest social services nonprofit. 
So the people that ran that decided they would, for whatever reason, um, there were particular doctors who worked under that organization and psychiatrists and psychologists that wanted to investigate what would happen um, to children, especially twins and triplets, if you deliberately um, tested the nature versus nurture concept and put them in different environments and separate them entirely and see how they grew up to study them. What, yeah, if you're thinking, hang on a second, where else have I heard um, tests on Jewish children and a real focus on twins and triplets? If you're thinking Nazi Man, Germany, yeah. <laughs> yeah, is that, yeah, is that, that was the first thing I thought. I was like, hang on, so a Jewish group, I'd have thought um, they'd sort of keep in. That, that made me think, what was the time period? Because are these people not particularly so this concerned is, with the well, that's what I don't really career understand. path of pre past enemies? That's what I don't understand. This place is called the Jewish Board Health and Human Services for all New Yorkers. It, it well, seems bear like in mind, too, I guess, that um, to Hebrew. in the States, like, there's kind of no health care that isn't religiously affiliated. No, but like this is through and through seemingly a Hebrew kind of um, charitable organization, the doctor that right. worked for them that decided to start doing this experiment, uh, Peter Neubauer, was an Austrian-born child psychiatrist and psychoanalyst. Uh, he was part of a small Jewish community, but he received his medical training in Vienna, in Switzerland, to which he escaped during the Nazi control of Austria and completed his psychiatric training there. And then he moved to um, uh, New York in 1941. But it's like, I don't know. It, it doesn't stink of, um, I mean, he's obviously Jewish, I guess, but he comes from that so era. Jews can't be Nazis, is that racist? He comes from A, that era, and B, that part of the world that was heavily focused on eugenics, regardless of, you know, whether or not they were um, Nazi affiliated or not, and especially Switzerland, like that entire part of the world at that point in time was really like psychiatry was just a fucking crapshoot of people just doing really bad shit to people and seeing yeah, what would it was happen. A place and a time for like thought, right? I guess, yeah. and it was the sort of the beginning of the end of um, European imperialism too. So I guess they were still very much of a mind that. Um, you know, Europeans are mm -hmm. kind of a master racy thing, even yep. and those so of the Semitic variety. What these three boys discovered is that they were placed in um, uh, placed in three different families, all of different um, economic standing. So they, one was quite well off, uh, one was middle class, working class, and one was blue collar. And um, mapped their, their differences as they grew up and that um, one one of their fathers, one of their adoptive fathers was um, a doctor, one was a school teacher and one was a, um, I think he was just either a salesman or like a mechanic or something really um, salt of the earth, blue collar. Yeah. Um, and the, the one who had the doctor was quite, focused and quite uh, he had everything he needed but his father was quite absent because he was working so hard but he had yep. everything that he needed the um 
the guy who grew up in the blue collar environment, they didn't have a lot. Um, but I mean, not having a lot in the seventies and sixties in America is still more than a lot of people. Um, so they grew yeah. up okay, had a stable family, and his dad was just like he. These kids seemed like the light of his life, so he was just constantly involved and like super just enjoyable to be around and went out of his way to just be like dad of the year for every little thing that he could. Yeah. Um, and then the the kid who grew up in the middle class family was just um came under a um so they're all relatively good families in that they were adopting children and placing them in homes and stuff like they, these are families who had established they were comfortable adopting children. Yeah. Um but the middle class family was a school teacher, very, very strict and very distant. And that's the that's the guy who grew up with the real uh, problematic um, like he was manic depressive he struggled with um, when he met the other brothers when they were fully grown and they all gravitated towards the the blue collar dad who was just all about everybody that he suddenly the blue collar dad suddenly had three children three identical children in his mind he was like this is great and so he took them under their wing but the 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 school teacher dad from the middle class family just was always distant. Didn't seem to give a shit about, or like tried, did his, had his own way of doing things. Um, that yeah. old kind of milit- militant. So was of, it time period? This is in the, so they were born in the sixties. Right. Um, so this is in the seventies and eighties. And so they met each other in the late eighties. Right. When they were like 18, 19 and had gone to university. So any of the, I assume the families they were all, adopted by rural jewish too not necessarily no nah, um nah. but i was gonna say how holocaust affected were any of these people no nah, i don't think they um i can't remember actually but um when they started prodding around like oh god they actually actively placed these people in different sorts of backgrounds to see what would happen um somebody like the guy who was investigating all of this for them was like hang on a second how would they even this already has the stink of like a failing scientific endeavor because how do you even know what your baseline is? How do you even know what, what's going to happen with an adopted child in these sorts of families? And they actually worked yeah. out all of these families had adopted um, another child around the same time from that same agency, like maybe 10 years prior or five years prior. So they yeah. already knew the kind of environment and the impacts that those sorts of families would provide on an adopted child. So they had their control for all families, yeah. and that's how they decided those three particular families would be picked, which is, again, horrifying. They went out of their way to place them in families that they knew probably weren't great. Like, one of them wasn't particularly great compared to the others, but they still did it. And that was the one that killed himself. <laughs> and was in and out of psychiatric institutions, and um, when they all met, they were all happy as Larry and everything, and went, you know, but he had... I think during his younger years, he had been in and out of psychiatric wards and shit from just, um, cause they separated them when they were like two or three. So at that point they right. actually had already connected as, as siblings. Yeah. And so none of them had any memories of it, I assume. No, they had memories of, um, strange, like a man and a woman who would come to their house every second week and would assist right. them and get them to, um, say certain things and play like certain things and they'd be filming them the entire time and taking notes. Yeah. And yeah, they always thought it was weird and some of them reacted worse than others. But for the most part, the more they thought about it, they're like, oh yeah, we, we were just told and the families were just told that this is part of the, 
um, case study for just studying young children in adopted families and that it would happen over a course of like 10, 10 to 15 years. Also, oh, the parents didn't know it all either. No, God, no. No, no, no. The parents just assumed, oh, that's just something that they're doing now. It's a new psychiatric way of uh, managing people's health through just a study, essentially, a very soft study. But no, the entire thing was in completely engineered. That's horrifying, eh? And like, fuck, some of the conversations they had with some of the people attached to it, they managed to talk to one of the um, assistants of this doctor. She worked for him in the very early years of him setting up this program. She was so flippant about it. She was like, well, we put them in good homes, you know? They've got nothing to worry about. At the end of the day, we were just trying to make sure, like, we were just trying to understand the difference between nature and nurture. And she had that really sickening kind of, she was so blind to the idea that what she had done was fucking traumatic and just naturally a horrifying thing to do full stop to humans. Mm. Um, Even if it was quite a, you're not torturing people, you're not killing people, but you are manipulating them. Yeah, like on the th- these, she had the such baseline yeah. is for her just that they gave them good homes and they were orphans and. Well, that was just actual- like a, she just shrugged it off. She was like, "Well, you know, that doesn't matter. What we got out of it was amazing. Like this doctor, yeah. this, he was the best thing. That like he was so handsome and he did this and he did that and um and then she'd walk through a house and show that she'd met Bill, Bill Clinton and that she'd met uh, Barack Obama and she'd met Jimmy Carter and she'd met all these people and famous like her house was just a shrine to all these famous people she was connected with so she herself had no real standing of um talent or um anything in particular but she was obsessed obviously with um the successes of other people and so that seems like why she was just constant yeah it was just a weird weird like her little segment of the documentary is like i fucking hate this woman um, and she was only in it at the, in the first couple of years, so she didn't know these triplets, but she knew the doctor, and it was just like, oh. and so where this all just kind of unravels is obviously when this dude kills himself. Yeah. Um, that wasn't even at the point where they had discovered what the fuck was happening. He just killed himself because they, um, yeah, he, he just spiraled one afternoon and ended up hanging himself, um, which naturally fractured them and did what it needed to do. And it wasn't until a couple of years after that that they started digging around and realizing what the fuck was going on with this. So this dude who killed himself didn't even know why he was suffering the way he was suffering. And <laughs> oh. it's just, oh. And the, the, that's where it gets weird. The, the study was run out of Yale University through proxy of this Jewish family services place. The yeah. re- the, and every time they tried to dig up the records, they were told they're not allowed to be released that they're currently sealed until uh, 2065 is what I'm reading right here right now. So they, they, the the subjects of these, um, of these cases don't have access to this information. They were given very specific, heavily redacted pieces of their particular files. So it's no one's allowed access. Government affiliated. Mm -hmm. Yep. And it's like classified. It's not just, it's sealed, yeah, under order of Yale University with whatever direction from the whatever. Yeah, these guys have, have gone out of their way through like legal requests and everything to get this information publicly unveiled. And not just these triplets, everyone who other people who have been attached to this event or these um, these tests. But no, Yale has lo- kept them under lock and key. Um, the adoption agency refuses to um, support them in releasing it. 
government seems to have some sort of hand in it. And in terms of the, because obviously once you unseal the documents, you'll unseal the, the purpose, yeah, the nature, um, and the links that they went to, which obviously not all of them are actually publicly known still. So they're covering something up for a hundred years essentially. <laughs> So he started in 1961, it ended around 1980-something, and it's been, yeah, it was sealed for like 90 years. What the fuck? And that's just... So is, is any of that detail going to be released? Sorry, I didn't really hear the date, but within their timeline? In their lifetime? No, they're already in yeah. their 50s. They're not going to last another um, 40 years. There's no way. See, that, that's wrong. I, I mean, obviously not. That should really be up for debate. No, but that's but what. Like, that's yeah. The way you a just university, des- especially. Yep. Um, and that's what. Yeah, the way that you just described that. No, you you posited that question. It's like they clearly engineered that. Um, how long it's sealed for to make sure that, by and large, the the actual cases, the people attached to it, would not will, will die before the actual seal is lifted, and by the time the seal is lifted. Um, they won't be. They won't be able to essentially sue or do anything crazy with it because it won't be. No one alive will will be there to do it. Their families will be, but they won't be able to do shit about it. So, so well, hopefully their kids can like sue to understand uh, or something. I don't think they'll be like they could get the information, but I don't think they'll be able to uh, be allowed to sue for damages or anything on their behalf of the estate. I just don't think it'll work that way. And it sounds like it was so heavily engineered in that way to make sure that it just would just be buried no further questions obviously they either found something or somebody uh, figured out what the fuck they were doing at a higher level and said shut this shit down lock it up never talk about it again because what you're doing here is basically Nazi shit so. do you think it was like a we need to work out what the Nazis were on to type of situation I mean, that's the only thing I can really... Th- I can't think of anything else off the top of my head anyway that... Like, why... Or, like, uh, maybe they found some studies that... They, they must have picked this up from somewhere. Like... It, it sounds so Nazi-ish. And we know... what, what it, like, yeah. you'd think... Well, we know we picked... We plucked Nazi scientists from across the board, right? And placed them back in... And placed them in America after the war. We... Like, between us and Russia... Uh, us. You mean the us, West or us, you mean the America? West and Russia? Sorry, yeah, America and Russia. They they basically split split the pot and uh, took what they wanted, and that includes people and um, yeah, intelligence. The, the, so. the biggest get I think from all of that was a Werner von Braun. Yeah, and I mean, everyone's focus would have been on the uh, uh, rocket science stuff and weapons. And, uh, I, I heard the suggestion was without Werner von Braun, the Americans wouldn't have gotten people to the moon for another hundred years. Yep. Which I doubt it would be at a hundred years, but... No, I do too, but um, at the same time, that's nuts. Yeah, it's... It's pretty well fucked. Um, yeah. So that's Three Identical Strangers on Netflix. I highly recommend <laughs> Um, yeah, I might have to watch. That. This sounds way up Charlotte's alley. Yeah, um, it's a quite a well-told documentary. It's only one, like it's not a. It's just an hour and a half or an hour or so. Oh, yeah. um, keeps it short and sharp, but it, it makes you want to go digging yourself um, through all of that stuff and figure out what the hell is going on. But you know, 
Um, I've got to wrap up here. I've got to go because it's level two here and I'm allowed to go outside. I'm sorry. Fuck Uh, you. I know. um, The Milky Bars are on me next time. Be there, does it, mate? Auckland. Um, This has been Wired Shut. Has. He's been been your host, Jesse. I've been your host, Logan. Yeah. Logan, Jesse, Jesse, Logan. Um, That's about it. That's about it, yeah. See you next time.